You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Hey, I want to talk to you a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes. Not really behind the scenes, but it's gone largely unnoticed that there have been proposed changes to money. Yeah, it's kind of lost in the mainstream media coverage because the focus is on the coronavirus situation. However, there are rather radical, some people would say, currency changes that are currently being proposed. Now, it's no secret to those interested in financial and economic matters that many policymakers and government leaders, certainly not all, But many have long dreamed of a day where we have a cashless society. Now, there was a former White House chief of staff who rather famously, or maybe infamously said, that those governing should never let a crisis go to waste. And there have been credible proposals in light of all the legislation being passed in response to the coronavirus situation, to create a digital dollar, potentially moving us closer to that cashless society. Now, it's important to note that, at least in my view, from the research I've done, none of these proposals seem to have enough support presently to become reality, but you should certainly keep in mind that in the current economic and political environment, things are rapidly changing, and really anything is possible. Now, in the main newsletter this month to clients, we delve into this issue in greater depth. And if you are not a client of our company but would like to have a copy of this newsletter, uh, I'm going to make it available to all the listeners this month. Uh, It's got really important information in. It is uh, extremely well-researched in my view, and admittedly, I'm a bit biased. However, it talks about this movement to digital money, and really cryptocurrencies have kind of set the stage, given governments a model to look at, and it's being widely discussed worldwide. Now, if you would like to have a copy of this newsletter that you may not know report, I would encourage you just to give the office a call. Uh, It's 866-921-3613-866-921-3613. Just call during normal business hours. We'll be glad to get you a complimentary copy of the You May Not Know report. We do have some other resources available as well. If you're a new listener, I would encourage you to go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. And there you'll find a podcast version of this program that airs each week. Uh, You'll also find a place to subscribe to our weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter. That newsletter is free, and it is delivered uh, every Monday at 5 after market close. So again, that website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. Now back to this idea of digital dollars. Now, the CARES Act, which was the stimulus package passed in response to the coronavirus situation, that act originally contained a provision 
for the creation of a digital dollar, which was later removed from the bill before it was finally passed. Now, I'm going to give you a bit from Coindesk, which is a news agency that tracks all things relating to currency. And this is from that article. Proposed legislation meant to shore up the U.S. economy during the coronavirus pandemic includes a recommendation to create a digital dollar. This virtual greenback would help individuals and families survive the shutdown of businesses and series of shelter-in-place orders, which resulted in skyrocketing unemployment claims and a potential severe recession. Of course, I think it goes without saying that we will see a severe recession or worse. Now, keep in mind, this was published, this article was published prior to the final passage of the CARES Act. With that timeline in mind, let me continue from the article. Under the draft bill shared last week, dubbed the Take Responsibility for Workers and Families Act and the Financial Protections and Assistance for America's Consumer States, Businesses, and Vulnerable Populations Act, the Federal Reserve, the nation's central bank, could use a digital dollar and digital wallets to send payments to qualified individuals. Let me read that last part again. The Federal Reserve, the nation's central bank, could use a digital dollar and digital wallets to send payments to qualified individuals consisting of $1,000 for minors and $2,000 to legal adults. Both bills employ identical language around the digital dollar suggestion. Here's the language. The term digital dollar shall mean a balance expressed as a dollar value consisting of digital ledger entries that are recorded as liabilities in the accounts of any Federal Reserve Bank or an electronic unit of value redeemable by an eligible financial institution as determined by the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve, the bills read. The Fed would be in charge of the digital wallets maintaining them for recipients. So let me explain. The Federal Reserve, the central bank comprised of private bankers, the same entity that is engaging in massive money creation would be in charge of your digital wallet. Uncomfortable yet? Any citizen, in my view, concerned about financial privacy, concerned about negative interest rates maybe being forced upon them, should be concerned about this development. Now, that was taken out of the CARES Act. However, presently, there is another bill pending that would resurrect the idea of a digital dollar merely one month after the first run at establishing the digital dollar failed. Two congresswomen, one from Michigan, one from Washington, introduced a new proposal to have the federal government issue $2,000 per month to residents by minting a pair of $1 trillion coins and using these to back the payments. What could go wrong? So the idea here is that although there is no money to pay people $2,000 per month, and because we're concerned about the debt, here's what we'll do. 
we'll just print a couple coins, we'll say they're worth a trillion dollars, and then we'll spend $2 trillion. That is essentially money creation and money games. The Automatic Boost to Communities Act, and the acronym is the ABC Act, also brings back also brings back the idea of a digital dollar describing the concept using similar language to a series of bills introduced last month. Under the ABC Act, Congress would authorize the Federal Reserve to create Fed accounts or digital dollar account wallets, which would allow U.S. residents, citizens, and businesses located in the country to access financial services. Here's a bit from the bill. No later than January 1, 2021, the Secretary shall offer all recipients of boost payments the option to receive their payments in digital dollar wallets. Now, this bill contains some provisions that are, at least from my viewpoint, alarming. The ABC Act would give each of these individuals a $2,000 initial payment for each member of a household, and that initial payment would be followed by $1,000 each month for each household member until 12 months after the pandemic ends. There is no provision in the bill, as near as I can tell, to determine how the pandemic ends or how we determine that the pandemic has ended. The payments would be made in digital dollars and loaded each month to a boost debit card. Payments under this proposal would be made to taxpayers, dependents, non-citizens, and individuals with no bank account, no social security number, or no permanent address. Now, at the risk of offending my listeners with an admittedly subjective opinion, that is totally, completely, and utterly absurd. And even more delusional is the notion this program can be funded by minting $2 trillion coins. History, as we talk about frequently here on the program, teaches us that the money-printing rooster always comes home to roost. No exceptions when you study history. This bill, should it pass, will make that day happen that much faster and will take away more financial privacy in the process. Now, I'll talk more about this in the last segment of today's program. However, before I go to the break, and be sure to stay tuned for the next segment when Mr. Carl Denninger will be joining me, let me let you know of a book that will be released. Uh, I just finished a book titled Revenue Sourcing, and it contains a tool that you can use in the current economic environment that may help you achieve a comfortable, stress-free retirement. I'll just mention that on today's program. Uh, by next week on the program, uh, we will announce a release. So the book is titled Revenue Sourcing, and uh, I'm excited about it. It contains uh, some strategies that you can use in this environment to potentially help you achieve a comfortable, stress-free retirement. There's also additional free resources at our website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. The website, again, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. Go check it out. I'll be back after these words with Mr. Carl Denninger. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is a returning guest, Mr. Carl Denninger. Uh, some of you undoubtedly read uh, Carl's blog at market-ticker.org. He is a 
prolific blogger, and I would encourage you to check out his site. And Carl, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much for having me on. Carl, let's uh, talk a little bit about, I don't know, let me call it monetary lunacy, in my opinion. Uh, We have the Fed um, in money creation mode on steroids. I think the balance sheet has expanded by uh, 40% in the last month and approaching $7 trillion. Um, Where is all this headed? Well, it's headed to inflation somewhere. I you know, there's the, the the old saw about this is that from Friedman is that inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. Um, you can you cannot necessarily control where it shows up in the economy. This is one of the big scams that the the Federal Reserve and the federal government believe is that they can somehow channel this. It never works that way. You you can stomp on something one where one place, but it's like a balloon. If you step on a balloon in one place, it, it bulges out somewhere else. And so the the real issue that we have going on right now is that with what's occurred, and and let's not mince words here. Congress is the enabling factor. Uh, they're the ones that passed the CARES Act and all of this other spending without any funding for it. So of course you know what's going to happen there, right? It's all going to be deficits, and that's the Federal Reserve issuing credit into the economy. Uh, but when you get down to it, the the issue is is that when this shows up in core, uh, that is food, housing, uh, necessities of life, things you can't avoid buying, it's going to be catastrophic. And the, the one place it likely won't show up, at least in the short term, is in energy, and that's simply because there's no demand. So you're going to, but you'll see a rebound effect on that because when you destroy the price of a barrel of oil, for example, which is what's happened, and we had the negative futures prices, uh, which, which by the way, is another scam all by itself. That never should have been allowed to happen. Uh, but when that occurs, what you do is you destroy the producers. And so a year, two years, three years from now, what happens is that you have no supply because those people are out of business. So what do you see, Carl? Because, you know, when you look at private sector debt levels going into this, private sector debt levels were at all-time highs by virtually every measure from at least the numbers I'm seeing. That in and of uh, itself is going to be deflationary. Now we've got all this this Federal Reserve money creation. Uh, Is it possible that we could see deflation in some areas and inflation in another? And is that essentially what you just said? Yeah, and, and you're going to see it in certain places. I mean, it, it, just take an example. You have all of hospitality essentially that's been closed. Now you have states that are claiming that, you know, for example, restaurants can reopen at 50% capacity. Well, if you have any kind of leverage on at all in your restaurateur, you can't possibly stay alive with 50% capacity. It's impossible. You can't make the debt service and you can't manage to pay for the food and, you know, and the, and the rent and everything else. So what will end up happening is that those entities are all going to go out of business, and that is incredibly deflationary for, in example, the commercial property market. Because, you know, I mean, you got 50 empty restaurants. Well, what's that do to the price of the building, right? Um, and so that's, that's going to be a serious problem. The bigger issue is what happens to the tax base in the communities and the states because – 
among the counties, almost all county revenue comes from property taxes. And among the states, a huge chunk of state revenue comes from sales taxes. Well, you just destroyed both of those. So if if I ran a restaurant or some other hospitality-based business and I was paying a million dollars a year in property taxes, now all of a sudden I'm paying zero, well, <laughs> what happens? I mean, the, the obvious answer is, is what gets cut first are police, firefighters, and teachers, because that's where, that's where the money goes. Uh, what goes after that is things like highways and, and, you know, and road improvements and other municipal projects. And ultimately, if you get in serious trouble, what happens is, is that you start to lose things like infrastructure, which is extremely bad because that's things like water and sewer buildings. Well, Carl, you make that point, you know, declining tax revenues, I think, is something that, uh, that there's, a, there's a lot of things about, you know, monetary policy that uh, maybe a lot of people haven't thought about. But let's just zero in on a state that's been in the news of late. Take, take Illinois, uh, which is a financial basket case, uh, pensions underfunded, unpaid bills uh, months, if not a year into the future. Now, all of a sudden, tax revenues drop. Uh, What's going to happen? Are we going to see states now be able to declare bankruptcy? And are we going to have a reset as a result of all this? How do you see this playing out? Well, I don't know, because as as the law stands today, a state cannot declare bankruptcy. So cities can declare bankruptcy. Of course, the infamous one is Stockton, California. But states cannot. And there is a large problem brewing there because Illinois, for example, uh, the only option they really have is to try to raise tax revenue. Well, the reality is is that almost all of your property tax revenue, which is their largest base available in terms of assets that they can try to tax, almost all that goes to counties. Essentially, none of that is state revenue. So what's left for state revenue? Well, income taxes and sales taxes. Those are really your, your two big ones when it comes to state funds. Um, how well is that going to go over and how are you, you know, I mean, that's the, the income and sales tax are out a dollar one from most people that are, are in the economy. That's not something that you can, you can make progressive in some kind of a way. So there, there is a real problem here because you've got all these people that are out of work. And then on top of that, you're going to hammer them with tax increases. So Carl, when, when you look at, you know, what's going on in, in Washington, that uh, they're now considering another multi-trillion dollar stimulus package. We have the, uh, the, the bill that was proposed, uh, uh, I think it's called the ABC Act, where uh, we'd, we'd mint a couple trillion dollar coins to pay for a couple thousand dollars uh, going to each citizen initially, and then a thousand dollars a month until the pandemic ends, or I think it's 12, month af- 12 months after the pandemic ends. Um, obviously, there's no money for any of this, and it's going to have to be paid for with just you know newly created money, like trillion dollar coins minted out of thin air. Um, why the disconnect? I mean, the the, the politicians are uh, obviously just it's an election year. Maybe that's it, but but they've got to be smarter than this. Well, they're not, and the you know that the problem with this that I've continually pointed out to people, and now we're starting to see it show up in places like a grocery store is that you can print money, but you can't print chickens. And, you know, go into the grocery store and fi- try to find yourself a, you know, package of ribeye steaks right now. It, there aren't any. Okay, there, you know, where, where, are the, where are the packs of baby back ribs? Where are the pork loins? Where are, you know, 
I mean, <laughs> this is where the rubber hits the road because when you start to close things down and you tamper with supply chains in the economy generally, what you're doing is you're saying, okay, I'm going to close this, but where the follow through comes from from that is not something I can determine with accuracy. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to miss things. And those things are going to come back and nail real people. And that's what we're seeing right now. The, you know, if you think about this, this has really only been going on for about a month. Okay. Uh, that's not a lot of time when you, when you think about the, you know, the reality of this. 30 days is not that long. And yet I go into the grocery store here and, and there's, you know, two rolls of hamburger left in the meat aisle. And that's it. I, there, there's nothing. There's literally nothing. Normally, you know, I want a pack of ribeyes. I go into the grocery store, I buy them, I throw them on the grill. There are no ribeyes. They don't exist. And this is the this is what we are looking at right now as a result of this lunacy. And the worst part of it is that we didn't get anything for it. Remember that when this started, what we were told was we were going to flatten the curve. Well, flattening the curve does not change the number of deaths nor the number of cases. It just spreads them out over time. So what we did was we spread this out over time, allegedly, and yet we destroyed the economy in the attempt to do that. Now the goalposts have been moved, and we're saying, well, we must prevent infections. Well, the data out of New York says that didn't happen at all. And so what you now have is we ruined the economy. We didn't save any lives. We didn't prevent any infections. So what we got was all costs and no benefits. So what do you say, Carl, as these uh, re- you know, restrictions are, are lifted and as uh, supply chains gradually come back online, and that's not to minimize or trivialize the fact that there's going to be some economic pain uh, in, as that happens, do you see a V-shaped recovery here, economically speaking? No, because you've scared the living bejesus out of three-quarters of the population. Just, <laughs> you know, it, so I go into a, a restaurant yesterday, and I've, I've got to serve. First off, I get asked, before I go in the front door, have you been in contact with anyone that's had COVID? Have you traveled outside the United States? You know, yada, basically this whole laundry list of questions. And then, you know, the, do you have a fever? Have you had a fever in the last 14 days? All right, so... They, they basically medically screen me at the door. Then they put me in a, a booth to, you know, to go ahead and order my food or whatever have you. There's no menus. I have to look up the menu on, on an app on my phone because we can't have contact with anything. The, the server comes over to me with a mask on and a, and a pair of rubber gloves, which, by the way, are not only worthless, they're worse than worthless because unless you follow assiduous procedure, you actually spread more disease by using those than by not wearing them and just using your hands. And they go through this entire thing. But what message does this send to the average person in America? Okay, you're, you're, you're basically, you're going to go out, you're going to eat in a restaurant when when every you know everybody that gets within six feet of you looks like the angel of death i mean are you serious do you really think the economy is going to come back well our guest today is mr carl denninger his uh, blog can be read at market-ticker.org i'll be back after these words to can you continue my conversation with carl stay with us
Welcome back to Retirement Lifestyle Advocate Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I'm chatting today with returning guest, Mr. Carl Denninger. Carl's blog can be read at market-ticker.org. Undoubtedly, many of you do read that. And if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to go check it out. Again, the website is market-ticker.org. And Carl, in the last segment, uh, you mentioned that you went to a restaurant to get something to eat and you dined in. We should point out to all the listeners that you live in Tennessee, uh, not uh, some of the other states. So there are states, evidently, that uh, are allowing you to, uh, at least in some capacity, uh, go into the restaurant. Is that, a, is that a new development there in Tennessee? Yeah, it's just in the last week or so. And uh, interestingly enough, there's a, there's a wide diversity of, of, shall we say, opinion among the people that run the places. The chains where I was in this particular case, because a local eatery that I wanted to go to had not reopened. And I can see why, because I don't think they can survive at, you know, half occupancy. Okay. So they may be gone, which is a real bummer because it's somewhere that I really liked. And I like the people there. These are my friends and uh, they're, they're probably completely out of work on a permanent basis. So anyway, I went into this other place as a, a national chain and they have all of these rules. And then on the other hand, though, I have a, a brew pub that, uh, that also serves food. They're open. And uh, there's there's no masks. They've still got their six foot restrictions and this and that and everything. But I try to patronize them too because again, these are my friends. And and so a lot of this has to do with the you know the corporate mentality. If you've got somewhere that isn't uh, imbued with that, then uh, you know there's a little more reason going on. <laughs> you know, Carl, getting back to just just some of the the fallout from this economically speaking, and you know that's how we choose to look at things here on this program. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really ironic now that hospitals are furloughing workers and eliminating positions. And, you know, on past programs, we've talked about the fact that, you know, over the past couple of decades that uh, hospital administrative staff have grown at like 10 times the rate of, of doctors and nurses, the people actually delivering the health care. So um, is what's happening now something that was just going to happen anyway, uh, and this just accelerated it, or, or how do you see that? It's certainly ironic. I'm not entirely sure, and, and part of the reason is, is it's very difficult to get a handle on the breakdown of who's getting laid off. Okay, if, if the ER is empty because you've banned elective procedures and you're scared the living bejesus out of the entire country, so if if I've got a little pain in my chest where I would normally go to the, the hot, you know, I go to the ER and say, hey, doc, I might be having a heart attack. Maybe today I don't do it. Okay. Um, that, by the way, is a very troubling thing, because if I really am having a heart attack or a stroke, for that matter, if I don't go and get checked out, the odds of that ending up catastrophically bad for me are very high. All right. So we're going to kill tens of thousands of people over the next couple of years this way. But what I don't know is whether they're laying off administrators in equal proportion to the doctors and nurses. And if they're not, then this is going to do absolutely nothing to solve the problem. And for our listeners, Carl, that maybe uh, uh, aren't familiar with, with what this problem is, I know we've discussed it on past programs when you've been a guest, but I think many people are just not aware of uh, you know, how much of the U.S. economy actually is comprised of health care or how much of GDP health care actually eats up. Can, can you talk a little bit about that for our listeners that might not be familiar? Sure. It's about $1.05. And, and over the last 10 plus years, they have added 10 
administrators, that is, people who don't actually provide care to people, billing individuals, whatever, people in the administrative wing of the building, for every one doctor or nurse. So, you know, doctors and nurses, of course, are the people that actually help you. The rest, not so much. All they do is figure out how to take all the money. And that is where all of the growth has come from within that part of the economy over the last 10 years. And so when you look at the numbers over the last 10 years, there's been about 30,000 people a month that have been added. And yet out of that 30,000, only 3,000 of them are doctors and nurses. Carly, and I want to go back and talk about money creation a minute, because I think that has the potential to impact our listeners probably more than anything. And in the first segment, we talked about the fact that, you know, I think we both think that inflation is, is inevitable based upon, you know, all the money creation going on. I guess the million dollar question is, at what point does the Fed stop? I mean, do they actually keep printing until we have a currency crisis? Or do you think that cooler heads prevail, and at some point we go back to a deflationary environment when the money creation stops? I don't know. Uh, history is, of course, an imperfect guide for the future, but history suggests that when governments and central banks get into this kind of box, that they double down on the policy up until the point that a disaster occurs. And it would, of course, be my hope that that doesn't happen in the United States. But <laughs> hope is not a strategy. And so, uh, you know, what we've seen here with, with this virus is that the first lever they reached for was to add enormous amounts of debt in the belief that they'd get away with it again, because and, and primarily because they did in 2008, 2009. I mean, I, when, when that first started in 07, my expectation is that we were going to see the value of the dollar in the international stage cut in half. And when six months later, there was no sign of that happening, I was forced to revise my views because, you know, you, you got to be crazy to continue to hold on to the belief in something when the, the facts are not validating what you think is going to occur. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it's clear that Powell and the rest of the people at the Fed think that, well, you know, we got away with it last time. That means we'll get away with it again. Uh, that's an extremely dangerous perspective to take for a, a policymaker within any government. So let's talk a bit about the recently passed CARES Act, because uh, I, I've talked about it on the program uh, several weeks ago. But now we have an arrangement whereby the... Treasury Secretary using um, an S SPV can now actually take positions in corporate bond positions, borrowing money from the Fed. Um, and we had a conversation before we started recording today that, uh, you know, this, uh, this really isn't what was intended, and it may actually not be, uh, not be legal. It's not legal. The, when, when the financial crisis happened, the Federal Reserve broke the law. They are prohibited under the Federal Reserve Act from buying anything and holding anything on their balance sheet that does not have the full faith and credit of the federal government. They bought Fannie and Freddie paper, which on the face of every single bond that they've ever issued throughout history has a statement that that debt is not backed by the federal government. Okay, So it was a blatantly illegal act. Congress refused to do anything about it. The, of course, Treasury refused to do anything about it. And the executive at the time, Barack Obama, because you know, he was elected in 08, 
refuse to do anything about it. The, the problem there is that Congress saw this as an issue, and when they passed the CARES Act, they actually put an explicit statement in the statute that said that the Federal Reserve cannot do this. So <laughs> they went so far as to, as to formally recognize that the Fed had broken the law in the past, although they didn't come out and say it, and said, oh, no, you don't. Don't even think about it. And yet, literally within days of that act passing, they went around the, the intent of the statute and the black letter of it again for the second time and put this leverage program together through Treasury that is doing exactly what they were prohibited from doing by the black letter of the law. So, Carl, when you look at financial markets today, um, the, you know, the Fed is you know, indirectly buying corporate bonds, buying U.S. treasuries, the plunge protection team might be buying stocks. Is there a true market left or are all our markets artificial at this point? Well, there's always a market to some extent in that the at the point that you become a majority owner of anything, uh, the confidence is essentially gone. And this is one of the problems that the, that the Japanese Central Bank has, and that they have ended up owning so much in the way of ETFs that, for all intents and purposes, there is no market in Japan anymore. Uh, that has not yet happened in the United States. And, and frankly, I, I cringe for the day that it does because you have an awful lot of money tied up in those instruments in the form of pension funds and things like this, you know, CalPERS and, and CalSTRS and, and, you know, they're just the largest of, of many. If that was to occur, the, the destruction that would happen, especially to older Americans, would be unbelievable. You would literally have millions of Americans that are 70 plus out in the streets, literally thrown in the streets. And and that possibility does exist, that we could see that kind of a revulsion reaction come out of the markets at some point. Um, I, I suspect that we are in for a very rough fall and winter because all of these, you know, the rah-rah the that has gone on the last month or so in the equity markets has been predicated on the idea that everything's under control and, you know, that the federal government has got to figure it out, the Federal Reserve has got to figure it out, Congress has got to figure it out, it's all going to be okay. Um, when you start to see earnings reports for the second quarter, and especially when we start to see them into the fall, the, the real danger is that, of course, you know, that comes right in front of the election, right? September 30th is when that quarter ends. You're going to start to see those earnings reports come in. And my suspicion is, is that there is going to be no material recovery that what you're going to see is that earnings have flattened. And, and so you've got essentially what amounts to an L instead of a B. And that is the point at which I would be very concerned for valuations and what happens in the market as a whole, not just on the stock side, but also on the corporate debt side, because the debt market is much bigger than the stock market and much more important. Well, Carl, last question here. Um, when it comes to stocks, uh, it just doesn't seem to make sense that stocks would be rallying like they are with the economic news and the forecast looking you know, dismal. I mean, we're looking at a second quarter GDP hit of, by some estimates, you know, up to 40%. How do you square that? Well, I'm modeling 30, <laughs> but that's bad enough, right? I mean, 
<laughs> What's ten percent among friends at that point? <laughs> um, I, you know, I mean, really, I, that's that's pretty bad. I mean, the numbers I'm seeing are, you know, big thirty is is where my tracking is running right now. Um, I, I think we're going to see unemployment north of twenty, and that's, I mean, that's that's awful. Okay, that that kind of number hasn't been seen since the Great Depression. Um, the, again, the rally you've seen is all predicated on there being a V that the that the economy will reopen and people will go back. And the thing is, you can reopen the economy, but what has happened within the government and within the states in particular is that we have scared the bejesus out of the American public. And unless that is broken somehow, that psychological side of things is broken. Remember, consumer confidence is all about psychology. It's it's not so much of you know, people will borrow money, they'll run their credit cards up as long as they think there's going to be a brighter day tomorrow. If you don't have that belief, then I don't care what you do and I don't care how much money you print. People are not going back to the stores. They're not going back to the restaurants. They're not going to get on airplanes. They're not going to take vacations. And all of that spending that was taking place is going to disappear and it's gone. Well, the clock tells me we have to stop there, Carl. Our guest today has been Mr. Carl Denninger. The website is market-ticker.org. I would encourage you to check it out. Carl, thanks for joining us today. I always love to have you on the program. Anytime. Thank you. We'll be back after these words. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You're listening to RLA Radio. Thanks to Mr. Carl Denninger for joining us on today's program as well. In the first segment, I talked about the move and really accelerated move in light of current circumstances toward digital currency. I talked about the fact that the CARES Act, which is the stimulus package passed in response to the coronavirus situation, originally had language creating a digital dollar and a digital wallet that would be maintained for you by the Federal Reserve. There is now a bill pending titled the Automatic Boost to Communities Act, or the ABC Act, that would have the federal government issue monthly payments to citizens, and it would be paid for by minting a pair of $1 trillion coins and using those coins to back the payments. Now, that is, in a word, as I said in the first segment, delusional. The fact that you can create money out of thin air and continue to do that and have the populace maintain confidence in the currency, history tells us that that simply cannot happen. History also tells us, as we discussed with Mr. Denninger on today's program, that the money printing rooster always comes home to roost, and it comes home to roost in the form of inflation. Now, This whole idea of digital money is gaining steam worldwide, and I talk about that trend in detail in my client newsletter this month. Our clients receive a newsletter titled the You May Not Know Report, and this month only I'm offering it to any of our radio show listeners as well, uh, where we dig into this topic in great detail. And if you would like to receive a copy of the newsletter for May, All you need to do is give the office a call. 866-921-3613 is the number. Just tell the receptionist you would like a copy of the May You May Not Know Report newsletter. And we'll be glad to get you a copy out. We'll mail it directly to you. 
Again, the number 866-921-3613. That's 8 to 5 Monday through Thursday and 8 to noon on Friday. Now, China, many of you may be aware, is presently testing a digital currency. The publication The Guardian recently reported that as of the 1st of May, China is is testing a digital currency in some parts of the country. Now, in recent months, China's central bank has stepped up its development of the e-renminbi. And when we talk about the Chinese currency, it's a little bit confusing. The official currency is the renminbi, but the unit of currency is the yuan. So this e-renminbi is set to be the first digital currency that will be operated by a major economy. Now, China is testing this in several cities uh, in the area of Beijing, Shenzhen, and some of the areas that will host the 2022 Winter Olympics near Beijing. Now, cryptocurrencies originating in the private sector have really given governments a model to follow. In fact, the International Monetary Fund, which is the central bank of all central banks, is also looking at digital alternatives. And again, I dig into that into this month's newsletter for clients. Uh, But if you didn't get the number a moment ago, stay tuned. At the end of the program today, I will give you the phone number again, and you can get your complimentary copy of the May newsletter. So cryptocurrencies in the private sector use something called blockchain technology, which is really just an open architecture spreadsheet that everybody can see and have access to, so they trust it. And cryptocurrencies have been around for about a decade, or at least nearly a decade, but they have not been widely used to buy and sell things. Cryptocurrencies have not been widely used in commerce because their price fluctuates a lot. And we all want our currencies to be relatively stable in value. In fact, total cryptocurrency market capitalization today, if you add up the value of all cryptocurrencies, it's about $250 billion. So it's really not all that much in the whole scheme of things. Now, cryptocurrencies have given governments and central banks this model to follow, and they are pursuing it. Now, Seeking Alpha, which is one of the newsletters that I read, said this about the development of digital currencies. In addition to the Facebook attempt to create a digital currency, other higher-profile efforts have also been made to bring on the digital age. For example, Sherrod Brown, a Democratic senator, has has pushed for the Federal Reserve to get into the game and produce digital dollar accounts and wallets for all citizens. Senator Brown attempted to get some of this language into the COVID-19 legislative efforts. In Sweden, the central bank there has looked into the possibility of a digital currency. It's reported that about 87% of money transactions in Sweden are done digitally already, so the move would not seem to be that great. And Bloomberg recently even had a story on the Marshall Islands and the efforts being made there to create their own digital currency. And as I talk about in the May newsletter that you may not know report, the International Monetary Fund, the central bank of central banks, is also moving towards digital. Much of this discussion 
not surprisingly, is taking place in the context of replacing the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency. Now, I said I would give you the phone number again if you'd like to get a complimentary copy of the May newsletter where we delve into this whole digital currency topic in depth. All you need to do is call the office at 866-921-3613, 866-921-3613. Office hours are Monday through Thursday, 8 to 5, Fridays, 8 to noon. Just give the office a call and request your free copy of the May newsletter. We'll be glad to get it out to you. Also, there's additional resources at our website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter there as well. That is also complimentary. The website again, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's all the time I have for this week, but I'll be back again next week. Have a great week.